Today we pick back up in week three of our message series, Winning the War in Your Mind. So in week one, we looked at removing the lies that Satan tells us, and we sought to replace them with truth. And then week two, we wanted to rewire our brains so that we could renew our minds. So today we're going to look at how we can reframe our minds so that we can restore our perspective. So why is this important? Well, it's important because the life we have is a reflection of what we think. The life we have is a reflection of what we think. And we've kind of been looking at this uh, scripture in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. It's kind of been our, our, our series focus, if you will, for, for this month. And it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We seek to make every thought obedient to Christ. Two people walk into a worship gathering, much like all of us did this morning. The first person believes that Christians are hypocrites. They only care about themselves, and pretty much all churches are just after your money. The second person believes that Christians are not perfect, but they are trying to do their best, and and most of them mean well. This person believes that God is alive And that he is working in all kinds of different churches. Two people will experience the very same worship gathering, will hear all the same scriptures and everything that the pastor says, and will hear all the same worship music. Yet these two people will experience two completely different worship experiences. Why? The facts did not differ. But the filter through which they experienced worship did. Two people, two completely different thoughts and mindsets when they came into worship. In week two... I talked about how your brain creates these neural pathways when we think a thought. And each time we think that same thought, these neural pathways make it easier for us to think that same thought again. So instead of carving out a new pathway, it's more of an immediate response, a body reaction to what we're thinking. These neural pathways in your brain create these mental filters that influence how you view your next experience. 
social psychologists have actually named this, and what they call it is cognitive bias. Cognitive bias. A cognitive bias is a mistaken reasoning based on your personal experiences or preferences. This mental filter that impacts how you think. See, the mental filters you have shape how you see life. And when you change the filter, you change how you feel. You change how you experience stimulus, anything that you are going through, that you're feeling. Um, I was trying to think about the best way to help you understand this. Um, I think that the easiest way, and hopefully it works, um, you can tell me later if it does or not. So when we think about an experience that we're having and how our thoughts may influence that, I want to take that thought and kind of set it here and kind of go over here and look at COVID. I mean, everything. We can compare everything to COVID, right? Um, Not that it exists anymore, but... um, But when you tasted food prior to having COVID, you had a certain experience with that food. When you had COVID, you ate the same food, but what? You had a different experience when you tasted that food. Some of you, months, maybe years after you had COVID, still struggle to taste things the same way, smell things the same way. So see, you have the same experience, you have the same stimulus, but because of something that is now part of your body changes that experience or that stimulus that your body's reacting to. So week one, I told you, a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it is true. So we could also say that a lens with a distorted view will make lies seem like they're true. If we don't have a clear view of reality, the lens through which we view that reality shapes how we actually see it. Some examples of cognitive bias. If you grew up around abusive men, you now find yourself having a difficult time trusting men. People who had an abusive father will struggle with the idea of viewing God as a heavenly father because of that past experience. So now they view not just the people who abused them, but they view men as a whole through that same cognitive bias. Someone that told some, you know, someone who told you, one of your classmates, that your classmates think you're stupid. When you're talking to somebody and You think they're ignoring you, but they really just didn't hear you. But you think they're ignoring you. Why? Because now you think 
it's because they think you're stupid because your classmate thinks or your classmate told you that your class thinks you're stupid. So you begin to view all of the reactions that your classmates have based on that filter of all my classmates think I'm stupid. When that may not be the case at all. Parents who spoke negatively about people who are black. And literally in my notes, I put dot, dot, dot. I don't need to finish that one, right? Because we can literally see what happens in a society where children are trained and taught that there are these kind of people and these kind of people and these kind of people. These people are good. These people are not. These people are eh. But we view reality through that lens that cognitive bias that we've been taught. We, we find a good example of cognitive bias in, in Scripture in Numbers uh, chapters 13 and 14. Uh, Moses is still in the desert, and he sends out 12 spies to go into Cana to, to spy out the land that God was sending the Israelites into. And Moses wanted to check out, like, what is the environment? What is the atmosphere? What is the culture that we're about ready to send people into? And so he sends 12 spies out. Two of the spies, when they come back and they're asked, so tell us, give us a report. Well, two of the spies give the report that the land is beautiful. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, they refer to it. They're like, let's go. Let's take the land. It is ours. Let's go. But there were 10 other spies that when they were asked, they said the land devours the people who live in it. The people who live there are giants. And we are like grasshoppers compared to these giants, and they would destroy us. And when the Israelite people heard what the the ten spies had said, they all, they got scared. They didn't want to go into the land that God had promised to give them because of the report of the ten spies. They began to see the promised land as something completely different than what God had promised them based on the filter that they had been given. Same facts, different filters. It's not just the filter that is a problem, but it's also how we frame it. It's also how we frame the experience that we have. So part of what I want to talk about today is reframing an experience. So reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation or relationship by changing its meaning. So here's the premise of this reframing. You can't control what happens to you but you can control how you frame it. 
in Acts, we see that Paul had a dream of going to the cities in Rome and around Rome and and preaching the gospel and telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ and reaching people for Jesus. But when he got there, it was completely different than what he had dreamed. Because when he got there and he began to preach about Jesus, he was arrested and he was thrown in prison because of the gospel. What we see in Philippians chapter 1, I want to give you a new version. Here's the NWV version. Now I want you to know, Philippians 1, 12 and 13, now, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. As a result of the hell that I've been through, I'm quitting my journey as a disciple of Jesus and I'm never going back to church. I want nothing to do with this Jesus guy. The NWV version, that was the new whiners version, um, just for future reference. Um, It's written by Christians, by the way. So what does Paul actually say? What he actually says is, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. What most people would think as bad, Paul frames it as good. What we would view as bad, because he had this, what, this good thing. He wasn't there to do something bad. He was there to proclaim Jesus, to show love to the people. But he got thrown in prison. For most of us, that would just kill us. Our spirit, our our hope, our joy, it would squash us. But Paul realizes, I don't have to go find the people. I've got a captive audience. Because you see, what, what it doesn't tell you is how he was guarded. Every eight hours, a new palace guard would come in and would literally shackle themselves to Paul. So what do you think Paul did? Paul said, okay, let me tell you about Jesus. Notice that it says at the end, throughout the whole palace guard, that it had become clear throughout the whole palace guard, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He took a bad situation, and because of his thought process, because of his mental filter, made it into something good. And he goes on in verse 14, and he says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord 
and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Because they saw the courage that it took for Paul to still proclaim Jesus to these people. The people who literally put him there were the ones that he was preaching Jesus to, that was, he was sharing Jesus with. And because of that, it says many more people now proclaimed Jesus Christ without fear because of what they saw Paul doing with his life. So let's look at this reframing and how we can reframe your, your story and your relationships. The, the first thing I want you to point out to you is that we need to thank God for the things that didn't happen. Have you ever thought about that? Usually we thank God for the great things that happened to us, right? But have you ever thanked God for the things that didn't happen to you? You know, when I, when I look back, I thank God that I didn't get into the college that I wanted to go to. I wanted to go to University of Tennessee. I had my agenda. I had all that planned. I didn't get in. So I went up to Indiana Westland. You know, party school, Indiana Westland. You know, you know both on my list. No, Indiana Westland wasn't even, I didn't even know it existed to a high school friend that had moved away, looked me up and, and found me online and said, hey, why don't you come be my roommate? I wouldn't have probably given my life to Jesus. Maybe I would have, just not in you know, the same time frame. I know for sure I wouldn't have met Jennifer. I wouldn't have the kids that I have. I, I probably would not be the pastor of this church. Some of you are probably like, dang it, God, why didn't you send me to Tennessee? Um, but that's okay. God doesn't give you everything you ask for. Um, I thank God that I didn't go into ministry when I wanted to go into ministry. I don't know if I've shared this story before, but when I wanted to be in ministry was like when I like said, okay, God, like I'm in, I hear the call, like I'm answering the call, I want to be in ministry. Shortly after that, like Jennifer and I started dating and, and like I had all these high aspirations of this person, this like pastor I was going to be. Actually, I didn't even want to be a pastor. I wanted to be a traveling evangelist. I wanted, to just, I wanted people to just invite me. No one, like Dustin Jones, no one had a clue who I was. And Jennifer told me, you know, if you want to be at this, you're going to have to start at the bottom. So like a week later, I became the janitor of Westview Wesleyan Church. And when I finally became a pastor in 2010, I realized shortly into being a pastor that if God would have allowed me to be a pastor of a church when I first wanted to be a pastor of a church. I would have killed that thing faster than anything possible. Like, 
I wouldn't have had a clue how. But for seven years, I, I spent as a volunteer under three strong, solid pastors at Westview Wesleyan Church. And I learned in those seven years, a lot of the things and the tools that I would take with me to help me get started at Trinity. I thank God that he didn't answer that prayer. Number two is we need to practice pre-framing. We need to practice pre-framing. Our thoughts or our frames shape what we experience. So if that's the case, we need to help get our experiences moving in the right direction. This is going to be so hard. Or this is going to be fun. This is going to be challenging. It's going to take me out of my comfort zone. It's going to make me grow as a person. Two completely different scenarios. First things that come to my mind when I think of pre-framing are, are running analogies, and I realize I've given you guys a lot of those, um, so I tried to stay away from running analogies. Um, my second thought was, you know, I can't stand going to these events. Why do I have to go to these things? Oh, wait, it's an opportunity to do something with my family. Something you dread, an opportunity. Finding the good, even in the bad. You know, when, before I became a pastor, and, and I know I, I kind of frame this as like a negative thing, um, but it kind of is. So before I was a fat pastor, I had a different kind of, I was a positive person. Um, and Christians just beat the snot out of pastors, um, and pastors do the same to ourselves. But I had this thing that I always did was I would always look for the good in the bad. When something bad happened to me, I just immediately started looking around for the good things, for really where God was in those things. Uh, one of the examples, and I've written about this before, but um, I cannot remember the name of it, but there was a, a school shooting in a small elementary school, and this this teacher, uh, young, I'm pretty sure it was her first year, just this small little, you know, teacher, well, she made, this was like before, like this was like a popular thing to do, um, like she crammed all of her kids into a closet and she stayed outside the room. Well, she ended up getting shot and killed. And the, the shooter thought that she was the only one in the room because of her quick reactions. And one of the articles that I was reading when they were talking about this, they asked the question, where was God? because she was a Christian herself. And they asked, where was God in this? And so I wrote a kind of a counter article. God was in the girl, was in the teacher. God showed up. A bad situation, negative all around. She, she gave her life 
for these kids. To me, that's not a bad thing. That's something to be honored. It's something to be praised. It's something that God gave her the strength to do. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, not all of us would have done what she did. But you see, even in a negative thing, there is good. There is positive things. So we're going to thank God for what didn't happen, and then we're going to practice pre-framing our experiences. And the third thing is we're going to look for God's goodness. We're going to look for God's goodness. Have you heard the story of the vulture and the hummingbird? Some of you, maybe, okay, maybe not. Both the hummingbird and the vulture fly over the nation's deserts. All vultures see is rotting meat because that is what they look for. They thrive on that particular diet. But hummingbirds look for the colorful blossoms of the desert plants. The vulture lives on what was They live in the past. They will fill themselves with what is dead and gone, but hummingbirds live on what is. They seek new life. They fill themselves with freshness and life, but each bird finds what it's looking for. You see, in every experience, you will find exactly what you're looking for. Are you a vulture or are you a hummingbird? I missed my goals at work and so I don't get a bonus, but I still have my job. I had to park so far away from the door at Meyer, but God, thank you that I have the physical health to be able to. The cross-country course is a lot of work to maintain. It's a lot of work to do, and I've done the majority of it myself. I've had a little help here and there, but I can tell you this, it saved my ministry. Because last year, I needed a place to get away. I needed something to take my mind off of ministry. And I found it in poison ivy (laughs) and cutting up trees. A negative, but God's there. He's still there. And you know, every time I go out to that cross-country course, that's my thought. I can get away. That's my place now for some reason. (laughs) Even though I'm like soaking wet and look like I just walked out of, you know, the pool, like, I don't care. I leave physically exhausted, but I leave spiritually renewed. 
Romans 8, 28, Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So what do we do? We reject unhealthy default frames in our life. You're a loser. You're you're a failure. You're not good looking. You don't smell good enough. All of those negative things, we reject those things. Because God works in all things for the good of those who love him. reframing our mind. It's not this passively receiving the circumstance, but literally actively interpreting the circumstance. It's not interpreting God through the circumstances. It's interpreting my circumstances through the goodness of God. Think about your life this way, and can you say this? What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. The difficult things that you've gone through in your life, did it pull you down and keep you there? Or did it make you stronger? Did it draw you closer to God? You see, the two different realities are both options. But we get to determine how we experience that reality. Taking our thoughts captive. Literally making each thought obedient to Christ. When my son was younger, we had Jennifer and I had a hard time with his mom. She was not a pleasant person to deal with. And when I would get on the phone with her, she knew exactly what buttons to push to get me to go places I didn't want to go. But I always got angry. I always got frustrated. And then I'd get off the phone and Jennifer and I would get angry and frustrated with each other. And then one day we realized what it was doing to our marriage. And we both made the decision, you know, we cannot control what she does and what she says. But what we can control is what we say and what we do. You see, you cannot control what happens to you. But what you can control is how you frame it, how you experience that situation. In this world today, we need to take this so seriously because Satan wants to take every good experience and make it a bad one. He wants to take every negative thing that you are faced with and make it worse. 
But you see, the beauty of God in his creation is that he gives us the power to influence how we experience life. We get to choose. So the the hard question that we have to ask ourselves, do I like what I'm experiencing? Do Do you like how you're experiencing the things that come at you? Some of us, we might say that, you know, we feel miserable after we have that phone conversation. Well, how did you experience it? What thoughts did you allow to come into that conversation that shouldn't have been there? What thoughts did you need to take captive and make them obedient to Christ? But you see, you will never have control of the thoughts you don't seek to control. You will never influence your thoughts if you never do the work to influence them. So I have another set of packets back here on the table and then just around the corner of the table out in the foyer there. Um, Three more chapters. Honestly, my my encouragement to you, and and I know that I've been doing this a lot, but um, get the book. (laughs) Winning the War in Your Mind, just in case you didn't know the title of the book. Um, Craig Groeschel. Um, Very well done. But the exercises are in there, and he explains them even more in depth. He gives a whole chapter behind each of the exercises. Um, I figured you would much rather me do a four-week series than, I think, like a nine, no, like 12-week series Um, so I figured I would keep your attention four weeks, not 12. Um, so, but this is a big thing. And it's one of the things that I'm trying really hard to do. And, you know, I found myself doing exactly what I talked about in week one. I'm so busy. I don't have time to sit down and do this. Guess what I've done? I've not done it. So like, we need to carve out the time. If, if this is something that is serious, which I'm saying it is, so I know you all think that it's serious, and so we need to do the work. That was a place for you to laugh if you need me to... I'll, I, I, you know, have you ever... Sometimes I want to just get like an applause sign or like laugh now and like have somebody back there that can flip the switch so you guys know when to... That'll help my online participation if you all, no, sorry, I'm just going on and on. Stand with me before I keep talking. You know, one of the reasons I ramble sometimes is because I like to laugh. I don't do it enough sometimes. I'm too serious. I don't like taking myself seriously. Um, But if you would just reach out your hands and receive this blessing. Jesus, I thank you that you have given us the power over our thoughts.
that you've given us the ability to, to take our thoughts captive in your name. It's not that we're proclaiming our power over them, but God, we're proclaiming your power over our thoughts and our lives. God, I pray that you will help us to do the work, to take these thoughts seriously so that we can live into the life that you've called us to, the purpose that you ordained for us in the time that you made us. God, speak into our lives. Help us to find the goodness in the things that we experience. Help us to thank you for the things that you didn't answer, the prayers that you didn't answer that we wanted you to. But we realize now, God, thank you. Help us to pre-frame our experiences so that we can take them captive and honor you with our thoughts and our hearts. Move in our spirit and move in this community and in our lives. Be glorified in us, God, I pray. Amen.